Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Krista. And I know typically Crystal starts, right? So it's like, hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have Crystal with us here today. Um, As happens so often, she has decided to leave us. No, I'm totally messing. Totally messing. Um, Crystal is doing an amazing thing, and she is closing on a house. Ah, that's amazing. Yes, so send her your love and support. She wasn't able to be here uh, on today's episode, but that's okay. We're going to get it going, and we're joined by Zachary Nunn today. Uh, Zachary is based out of Houston, Texas, and uh, is a big four diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant and thought leader. With over nine years of experience leading cultural and organizational transformation in a variety of industries. So as the CEO and founder of Living Corporate LLC, Zach amplifies and centers marginalized voices at work by interviewing black and brown executives, activists, educators, elected officials, and influencers, which provides practical insight that reaches over 10,000 majority black and brown millennial and Generation X listeners a week. What? Uh, Despite all this work, his biggest passions are his wife, Candace, and daughter, Emery, who's roughly six months old. Hi, Zach. What's going on? How you doing? So good. Uh, So glad to have you with us here today. We're really, really appreciative. And uh, I guess just to kind of kick it off, we're going to roll the narrative so that our listeners can hear it. Children growing, women producing, men go working, some go stealing. Everyone's got to make a living. I've been known to stand out from the crowd for as long as I can remember. I'm a short, curvy, brown Latina with thick, curly hair and a fierce, resting bitch face who for over a decade tried to fit into corporate America oblivious to all of the stakes that were against me until a few years ago. I've had my previous managers describe me as intimidating, unapproachable, aggressive, dramatic, prickly, spicy, and spunky, just to name a few. I had a boss who clearly had never interacted with a person that looks like me or comes from my background. She thought we'd find common ground by talking to me about her Peruvian nanny, and asking me who Felicia is. As in, by Felicia. She made a comment about how I walked around the office giving off an arrogant vibe like I own the place. (laughs) Interesante. Why does my confidence have to equal arrogance? Should I walk with my head down and shoulders slumped? Would that have made her feel less intimidated? I once asked my colleague if she noticed that I was treated differently by our boss. Of course she'd noticed. Everyone noticed. She said, it seems you make her uncomfortable, but I don't know why. I was just being myself. I wasn't mean, unprofessional, irresponsible, inarticulate, rude, condescending, inappropriate. I was just myself. 
who else was I supposed to be? But apparently, I am just too much. In an effort to be less intimidating, I tried to be less extra. I'd stay quiet in meetings and speak last so people wouldn't think I was being too aggressive or too passionate. I'd keep my hair in a low bun, wear flats and oversized cardigans to attract less attention. I even practiced walking around with a smile plastered on my face, even though it felt ridiculous and inauthentic. At this point, I was about to break because for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Why am I so polarizing? Am I really so difficult to get along with? Am I really hard to manage? Am I supposed to dim my light because it shines too brightly in their eyes? Am I supposed to mute myself and become a milder, blander version to acquiesce to their standards? Am I too much? Unfortunately, having a big personality and being a woman of color is considered a double negative, especially in the corporate world. I battled with this existential dilemma for a while, but through introspection realized, I'm not the problem, they are. Okay, Zach, so hearing this narrative as a black man in the workplace, what role might you play in systems of oppression against black and brown women? Yeah, you know, I think the reality is, is that, you know, as a black man, I benefit um, in very, very distinct degrees um, by patriarch. And uh, I benefit by, goodness gracious, why am I saying it? Why am I mixing up these words? I am a beneficiary of patriarchy, right, as a man. And so, you know, when you think about um, the role that I may play in systems of oppression against black and brown women, I think it has to do with just uh, being quiet, not speaking up, uh, not holding other men accountable. Again, you know, we talk about systems or degrees of uh, benefit or privilege. And I think for me, uh, especially within the black and brown communities, you know, black and brown men definitely have equal footing with other black and brown men to hold them accountable. Or I should say black men certainly have equal footing with black men. And so there's multiple situations in the workplace where when you see something and you don't speak up, then you're you're contributing to systems of oppression. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the reasons I was so excited for this episode, too, is that when we first spoke, um, it was so interesting that your first perspective was allyship as a black man. And I think I, I really appreciated that, like you said, you took that moment to understand and appreciate the perspective of black and brown women and also recognize that uh, silence is sometimes compliance, right? So it's important that as allies, you're using your voice and whatever level of privilege you have, even if it's just a centimeter or so, um, uh, to make sure that you're assisting any other marginalized communities or intersectionally marginalized communities. So um, how can well-intentioned behaviors have a negative impact, right? Maybe, maybe sometimes people don't necessarily want to draw attention or make others uncomfortable, or they think that as an ally, they just don't have a right uh, to speak on issues and perspectives that are affecting certain communities that they don't identify with, right? How can those well-intentioned behaviors or really any well-intentioned behavior sometimes have a negative impact? 
Yeah, so I see I see this going two ways. One is uh, in an effort to, you know, be someone's savior, you just take action without really seeking consent or coordination and collaboration with that person. And then on the other hand, you don't do anything in the name of not really recognizing your agency and not being willing to be un- like being willing to be uncomfortable and put yourself in an uncomfortable position. Right. So on the first hand, when you think about, um, you know, again, moving autonomously on behalf of someone else, you then get in a position of um, you again, you take away their agency and you actually kind of erase them in the moment. And you also paternalize them a bit. Right. Like you're it, it actually you're actually undermining your own initiative and effort by not communicating with that person. That could be as simple as, hey, I see this over here. I know that you've said that you want to do this. I'd like to help you in this way, right? Just keeping it very high level just for the sake of this conversation. Or, hey, look, I've noticed something that makes me feel uncomfortable when this person does this. I'd like to hold, I'd like to have a conversation with them about it. Are you again, are you, do you have a problem if I speak up and I say something about this, but this is my plan, how I'd like to address this. What is, what is your thought, right? Now, some people be like, don't ask me that, just go do it. And that's fine if they say that. But like, again, just being conscious, being conscious and being considerate of um, where of the other of the other parties involved, because ultimately they're going to be impacted by your actions more than you will. So you owe it to them to communicate. And on the other hand, like I said, when it comes to not recognizing your agency and just not doing anything. I mean, that's like you just you, you said it earlier, like oftentimes silence can be compliance um, and you end up being complicit in a system that's harmful. Yeah. And I, I I think it's so interesting that you take this active role of allyship, right? Because even as individuals who are a part of a marginalized community, I think one of the biggest aha moments that I had of 2020 was actually during a workshop that Crystal facilitated. It was an exercise on privilege, right? So like raise your hand if you've ever experienced this or if you've never experienced this. And I almost got a little excited because I didn't realize how much privilege I did have. And I was like, oh, I have privilege, yay. Um, And from that moment, I think it made me feel really empowered to know that with privilege comes power And that's why allyship is so essential, right? Because in all of those little like nooks and crannies where you do or don't have privilege, the people who do have privilege need to be the one who need to be the ones who are advocating because most of the time they have the platform and presence, right? No, a hundred percent. Right. I think, I mean, you said it all, you know, I don't want to mansplain like double speak what you've already contributed. You're hundred percent right. I mean, if you have the privilege um, to speak up and not be harmed by advocating for something and you have all the more reason and frankly duty to say something and do something. Mm, I love it. That sounds like a, an episode title. Maybe it's your duty. Mm. <laughs> Um, So what does it look like to be a black man who advocates and reduces harm for black and brown women, especially in corporate spaces, right? I know it looks like not speaking up, but if that's what it looks like, what are the things that you're saying? Who are you saying them to? That kind of thing. Yeah, I think, you know, as someone who's focused on diversity, equity, inclusion within like change 
and or like you know org de- org development and human resources type context for me you know it just looks like centering black and brown women in my dialogue in my discussion so you know we talk about programmatic delivery of diversity equity and inclusion or we talk about analytics or we talk about um talk about really anything as it pertains to um the work that i do i'm, I'm centering the the least of these in these conversations and i'm focusing the discussion on those individuals and in a way that doesn't say, hey, let's talk about black women right now. It's just like, no, we're just going to center them in these conversations. It's going to be inescapable. You can't not think through and think about um, impact, disparate impact or intentional impact to black and brown women uh, because we're just because they're they're simply going to be the center of this conversation. And I think that's really important when you think through like allyship. It's like, it's not like we need to have a quote unquote conversation on diversity. Let's just like when we talk about user experience or we talk about whatever strategy, we talk about, you know, stakeholder engagement. We talk about um, we talk about market go to market strategies like there's black women in each of those populations. There's black and brown women in each of those populations. So what does it look like just to make sure that your personas, that your conversations, that your that your uh, main characters are black women? Yeah. And I think quite often, right, is that we're not in the room and we're not at the table. So in those moments, it's so essential that anybody who is, is elevating our perspective or the potential for that team, project, task, whatever it is, to actually highlight what our perspective could look like. So I think that advocacy is so important. And I'm going to call it out because the audience is going to hear it anyways, but I hear Emery in the background um, yep. And, <laughs> yep. and it's that time in the episode where I always ask like a question that's totally out of left field. Let's go. Okay. How does, or how has rather, how has having a daughter, even though you're only six months in, um, impacted like the level of maybe not commitment, but I guess fire you have to change the different situations and like oppressive systems that you're seeing towards black and brown women in these spaces. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You say that um, as my daughter's crying in the background, it's interesting that you say that because like, I think about, um, I think about Jay-Z's 444 album. And I think about, you know, he follows like a, a very like cliched narrative of men not seeing the humanity in women until they have a daughter. Right. And that's annoying. Of course. Right. It's insulting. It's misogynistic. It's reductionist. It's all the things. Um, and so for me, you know, I was, you know, that, 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 that has not, by the grace of God, that's not been my story. Um, it's not necessarily that I'm like, oh, wow, I really now need to like advocate for black women because my mom's a black woman. Um, my, my wife is a black woman and women are people and they're human beings. And so when I, I think what it has done is it's had me more focused on, um, on legacy and death though. Right. And not like in a really like morbid negative way, but like just, you know, you think about, so, you know, my platform, my, my media network, living corporate, my media network, living corporate is all about it. it we literally, we're a network that creates different digital con different digital products, content, whatever you want to call it that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. And I've continued to think through, okay, how, what else do I need to be doing with living corporate? What else do I need to be doing at my job? 
to help create a world where my daughter doesn't have the same traumatic experiences at work that I have. And so, like, that's really been more like I think as a father, like that's really where I've been thinking about more and more is like, okay, how can I push the envelope further? Like, how can I challenge systems? Like, how can I challenge systems more? Like, what can I what can I be doing right now to upend harmful systems today? Or at least if I could just like push the rock that turn, you know, like how can I create momentum or how can I join in momentum to help create the systemic changes and like dismantle harmful institutions um, that again, that harm black women today. So that by the time my daughter is 25, right. And she's at her first job that she's not having the same experiences that my colleagues are or that I've had. Right. Like that's been really where my, my, my mind has been and my heart has been over the past, I would say like it was not 15 months since, since my wife and I found out that she was pregnant. Right. Right. I've been, that's what I've been thinking about most. Yeah. And I, I love that you started it with this kind of like stereotype or stigma that's often associated with men in general, but particularly men of color, right. Where it's that, um, Men of color don't know how to humanize women until they have a daughter. And I love that you push back on that. Um, And I think you called it misogynistic, but like in my mind, every time I hear it, I just think it's so lazy. I think it's such a lazy narrative. It's also, it's very lazy. It's, it's super lazy. Yeah, you're right. Right. Because like you said, um, you have like a mother, but you also have other people in your life. Like even for, for men who don't. Right. There are so many opportunities for you to humanize women. And I don't know why there is this misogyny within the narrative that says, as a man, it's easier for you to humanize men, but you don't get to humanize women until you create one. It doesn't really. Yeah. So it it doesn't ring true to me. And I think that's why I I love that pushback at the beginning of the question And then also um, how you mentioned you don't want your daughter to experience the same things that maybe like you and your wife and your colleagues are currently experiencing, right? And I I don't think you needed to have a daughter in order to feel that way. You were already doing the work. But I think it, it does probably, you know, provide greater incentive for any of us to see the necessity in the work. And I think that's one thing that We Are Meaningful has brought to me too. Because for the longest time, I thought I was the only one who experienced these things. So I thought it was like a personal lived experience. And I was like, eh, I don't need to worry about that. This is just me and I'm just unfortunate. But it's not the truth. And that really leads me into our next question, right? Which is, why is community and allyship important to authenticity and that sense of belonging for black and brown professionals in general. Yeah. So I'm still like doing research and like studying this, trying to understand more about like um, how black folks did community or do community in Africa and, and, um, and trying to understand more about like just, just other civilizations that are not like that, like just non-colonized, non-Westernized civilizations. Like I think, I think there's something about community that speaks and like harkens back to 
like, I don't know, just something like innate in people. Um, sure. And I think that, uh, you know, we all need people. Uh, we all need a, a people to belong to. And all the more so, um, you know, we don't have to go back to Africa. We can look at just the history of um, uh, American American experience for black and brown people. And black and brown is not, you know, the, those 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 communities are similar, but they're not the same. And so but in this particular context, I think it's worth mentioning that when you look at those communities, um, they operate in groups like they like there's there's something to be said about. You know, you have aunts, cousins, uncles, you have friends of family, you have play cousins, you have, you know, trusted neighbors, you have community leaders. And like there's a there's a degree of trust that you build in those contexts. And uh, particularly in America, because the reality of white supremacy, um, you need you need space that is truly safe and welcoming. You need space that is affirming to you and who uh, that humanizes you, uh, that allows you to be flawed, that allows you to be um, to be imperfect. Right. That allow, and, and, and a place that can be restorative for you. And so like that, that's in life. And so it's certainly all the more the, uh, true within corporate contexts, which are highly white, very political, very duplicitous um, and exploitative because they're capitalistic. And so all the more you need those communities in, in, in working contexts. And, um, you know, as it pertains to allyship, the, thing, the same thing can be said, you know, because those spaces are so white. Uh, the reality is you're not going to see a lot of people that look like you. And so those communal bonds need to be formed along things other than race. Uh, they need to be formed on um, things that, that, that are genuinely beyond skin that are, that are more than skin deep. And uh, they're imperative for any marginalized employee uh, to be successful in those contexts. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think sometimes and it's ironic, right, because this is a layer of professionalism. And I say it all the time. American professionalism is derivative of white culture and arguably white supremacy. Right. So it's so interesting how often we like to separate professional and personal, right? Like we are these two individuals and we have these two different lives. And I think the reason that delineation has been so like socially accepted in the past is because if you're coming from an all white office, going back to your all white community, it's not necessarily difficult for you to have to I mean, it's not difficult at all because you're not code switching, right? Nothing's changing and it's almost inherent. You mentioned that word innate earlier. It's almost inherent. It's a part of privilege that anywhere they go, they have access to community. They have access to people who connect to them and relate to their lived experiences. But that's not how it works for people of color. We don't get that. We don't get it at work and also in the communities that we live in all the time. Right. So it's important that it exists, but it's also just a part of humanity. And I think that's why this movement that's been going on um, beyond the civil rights movement, but even before that, with just like re, I don't know, invigorating the idea of humanity in the workplace, 
with diversity and inclusion and all this stuff, right? Is so important because imagine feeling alone and like an outsider for 60% of the week, which is the amount of time we spend at work. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. You know, that's, again, it, folks don't really appreciate the loneliness of that unless you live it and your conscience. But, uh, but no, I mean, nothing else to add. I, I 100% agree with you. Yeah, I love that you called that out, the loneliness, because I think we've called out a lot this year with the podcast, right? We've probably called out like the emotional labor, the psychological affects and all of these different things. But there's just this like element of feeling lonely and feeling so out of place, literally just like a kid at the playground, right? Who, who, who didn't get picked for something or who just didn't have anybody to hang out. So maybe they're like, underneath the slide or something all by themselves. And it's always so interesting to me how grown people not just sympathize, but empathize with imagery like that, right? But we we get to this stage where as people get older, we have less of it. So it's just like, oh, I, I don't know what they did, but I, I don't necessarily feel bad for that individual. Um, she might be aggressive. He he might be lazy. Whatever it is, there's always excuses attached to why people live in an ostracized kind of space within work. You know, you're absolutely right. There's something. You know, I, I, my hope, my hope is that that we in this next generation also we just continue to grow in empathy. I, I do think I'm not one of the people that thinks that like. You know, racism is going to be eradicated as with the next generation. It's like, I don't believe that. But I do think that there's something to be said about. There's something to be said about all the things that are happening right now, which people will mock. And, you know, in terms of like identity and harm and trauma and like some of the language that, again, if you only exist on social media, you think they're new terms, but they're not or violence. Right. And so, like, there's something to be said about like the growing level of consciousness that people are developing around these things. You think through like, I don't know, you, you just think through like for black and brown folks, like just socially and culturally, like the leaps, I can speak to my own family, like just the experiences of my grandfather are not at all similar to my experiences in terms of like, you know, emotional maturity and self-awareness and the things that you, that I even have the privilege to even process and think through are not the same. You know, I have way more privilege to think through and be upset about certain things and like ruminate on other things and, you know, journal and write my feelings down. Like, I mean, like, you know, I just, I, I think there's something to be said about that. And so I hope that that translates into greater empathy over time. Um, but it, but it's not going to happen unless we continue to do the work of talking about it and writing about it and, you know, self educating ourselves and uh, unlearning and relearning. So, but I do hear what you're saying. I, and I agree. Of course. And I, I love what you said. It, it definitely triggered something in me because I was having a talk with a friend just the other day about how her and I have access to a level of privilege that our mothers never did when it comes to reflection and individualism, when it comes to challenging norms and like pushing back on what society wants and also taking the time to like feel empowered and figure out what we want and take our time and just move at our own pace. 
that's based on our identity and our growth, right? So a lot of what you were saying, some of that has to do with the permission that you have to process now, right? All of a sudden, men of color are uh, the the way that they're allowed to process is shifting. The amount that they reflect and express, right? And, and that's something that I always try to pull my brothers out of, but it's hard. It's hard. There's so much stigma and there's so much barrier, so many barriers to getting to that point. And I think that there's no other way, right? It has to change. It, it has to continue to evolve. I can't imagine a space in which it goes backwards, but I guess Jordan Peele has created some film that, <laughs> that can lead us to believe otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much, Zach. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to come and speak with me today. And I know Crystal does too, even though she's not here. She's here with us in spirit. I hear her little annoying voice in my head. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, where can listeners find you online, Zach? Yeah, so look, um, your listeners can find me anywhere that they find Living Corporate. Okay, so Living Corporate, um, like I said, it's a media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. You know, check us out on Twitter at Living Corp underscore pod. That's Living Corp underscore pod. We're on Instagram at Living Corporate. And then if you type in Living Corporate just in your browser, like we will pop up. Okay, but if you want to put in a domain, you can put in Living Dash corporate.com living dash corporate.com right if you want to but they got it like that so you just need to type in living corporate and it'll pop up it'll pop up we got the <laughs> SEO baby <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another episode of the we are meaningful podcast follow us on instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.